<laughs> Good evening, and welcome back to our series of Shurim and Hilchah Shabbos. Apologies for the long delay since Sukkot. And Mrs. Graydon, please don't shout at me. We discussed up until now in the previous Shurim all the halachas of Shabbos, starting on the Friday morning with the halachas of preparation for Shabbos, leading up to the halachas of Hadlokas Neiris, moving into the halachas of Amir La'akum, and what one can tell a non-Jew, what one can't tell a non-Jew, into Hilchas Kiddush, Hilchas Bishel, with the halachas of Shihir, Chazora, and Hatmona. And we now come to a section of halachas, which those seem to be distant from practical halachas in, in everyday situations, but are extremely pertinent to Shabbos and to the preparation for the meal and to eating during the meal. And there are these sections of halachas which come in the group of preparing bread in the Kaitsa, Zerea, Kaitsa, etc. group, which is really the group of malachas which enables a person, bringing a person rather up to baking bread. And they are the malachas of Dosh, Zaira, Beira, and Merakade. Dosh means to thresh, Zaira is winnowing, Beira is sorting, and Merakade is sifting. The difference between Zaira, which is winnowing, Beira, which is sorting, and Merakid, which is sifting, is very narrow. They are all doing almost exactly the same thing. They are separating good from bad. We will spend time, Be'ez Hashem, on the Malachas of Beira, which is where we're going to start with today. But before that, we'll do a background to what these Malachas actually are historically and until we come to the practical examples of Beira. And eventually we'll come to Dosh, which is, even though it's, we're going in the wrong order, it's just that Beira is more applicable, it has more practical examples, and it's perhaps a little bit more complicated. And therefore, if one doesn't know the Malachas of Beira, one can be over Malachas de Raisa, come every single Shabbos without even realizing. So Beira is extremely important halachas, so we're going to jump the Dosh. We'll talk about Zaira for a minute because it's, it's got very little practical application, and then we're going to talk about Beira and eventually Merakid. So just for a little background to the Malachas. In the Mikdosh, every Malachas is only a Malacha if it's happened, if there was this Malacha took place in the Mikdosh. In the Mikdosh, they either grew wheat for the purpose of making... Um, making the Ishtar Lechem or the Lechem Aponim, etc. They grew wheat and had to go through the process of harvesting and winnowing, etc. and the threshing and winnowing. Or they grew different types of seeds which had the similar components to wheat for the dyes which were needed to make the different, different cloths in the Mikdosh. But whatever it may be, different Shonim learned differently, the Malachas of Dosh, Zaire, Beir, Merakid took place in the, in the Beis HaMikdosh. Now, historically, in the olden days when they farmed and they didn't have the machinery as we have today that we will describe to you the modern day machinery is an almost identical replica just done by machine and done very quickly and in one go of exactly what happened in the olden days we'll run through the process of Dosh, Zaira, Beira and Merakid it's quite simple uh, just so you have a bit of a background understanding of what we're talking about uh, once one a farmer had reached the stage of harvesting he would then have his corn or his wheat lying in the field and they would need to be gathered in together. Gathering in together the wheat is called ma'amir. It has a few, very few practical applications, but that's beyond the scope of the shear. In the next couple of shearing pass, we'll come back to it at a later date. Ma'amir would be they would gather together the corn, the wheat, whatever it may be. According to some machine, and just leave it in a pile. According to others, they would, even, they would have to tie it together. And ma'amir would only be a malach if it was tied. And they would then have these bundles of wheat lying in the field. The next stage of the process would be to take those bundles 
to what we, what's known as the base hadisha to the threshing house. In the threshing house, they would lie the bundles on the floor, and I hope I'm not boring you because it might be obvious to some, but it does give a little bit of an idea of what these malachas are. In the threshing house, they would lie the bundles of wheat on the floor, all, all lying right across the floor, and there was different, different methods of doing threshing. Either they would literally just stamp on it. And by stamping on it, human feet stamping on the, the wheat, it would separate the kernels from the chaff, separate it away from the stalk and the chaff, and you'd end up with a mixture on the floor of kernels and wheat stalks and chaff. Some had the method, they used a, a special type of stick. I can't, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it right. <coughs> Known as a flail. Is that right? Flail. Now, a flail is a, a very primitive piece of equipment. It's just basically a heavy stick tied with a piece of string to a handle. And the, the farmers would lift up this flail and literally whack it against the floor, on the floor of where the wheat is. And the pounding of this flail against the wheat would eventually separate the, the kernels again from the chaff and you'd end up again with this mixture of corn and chaff and wheat stalks etc on the floor more primitively they did it with using animals they would just walk animals uh, over the wheat and the pressure of the animals would again separate the corn and the, the wheat kernels from the rest of the stalks uh, I assume the farmers didn't tell the, those who bought the bread exactly how they, they did the, winter, the, the threshing but that's the measure how they used to do it. From then, the next stage is now you end up with the wheat kernels on the floor together with the chaff and the, the stalks. They used to then go through the process known as zayr, as, as winnowing. What they would do there is they would take out big scoops on a shovel and throw it up to the wind. When the wind was blowing, they would take the scoop and throw the wheat with the kernels, this whole mixture up into the wind, the wind would then blow away the chaff and the wheat stalks because they were very light and the kernel being heavier would drop back to the ground and that way they would remove most of the debris, most of the unwanted part of the wheat they would just remain with on the threshing floor, they would remain with the kernels and nothing else that's known as winnowing, now winnowing has a few practical halakhas and we'll spend just a few moments on winnowing because it's short and it's very practical to give you a very uh, uh, brief example of winnowing. Now you must remember the malacha of winnowing is a malacha which is a combination of your work and the wind. So in order for any action to go under the banner of zayra, of winnowing, it has to be an action which combines wind however that wind is made whether it's man-made or it's natural wind it's got to combine wind and something that you're doing separating good from the bad. So it's got to be a process, a combination of two things using wind to, to separate something good from something bad. So the, the simplest example, the simplest example would be, for instance, if you have a bowl of peanuts and the peanuts has this little brown shell around the peanut and you want to see if there's any more peanuts at the bottom of the shell so you blow into the bowl and that way the shells all move away and you end up with peanuts at the bottom. You're there borderlining on, or probably more than borderlining on, entering into the area of Zaira because you have now separated the shells, the nuts from the shells, using a process of air to remove the shells. That is, a, 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 according to Dain Posen, that's the malacha of Zayra. I can't say I argue with him, he sounds very logical. You are following, almost doing exactly what Zayra is. You're blowing, you're using wind to separate a mixture of two things. Something else which the Paschim discuss as going under the banner of Zayra 
is scattering confetti into the wind. So if you open your window in your back garden and you take a bag of confetti and the wind blows and you throw out the confetti to the wind, so here you're scattering. Scattering confetti can also go under the banner of Zoya. Because again, you're using wind to scatter. Now if you use wind to scatter, it's not straightforward, but this, the, the source of that comes from a Yushalmi. Now this Yushalmi is quoted in the, in the Shulchan Aruch, the Ramad does quote this Yushalmi, but the Yushalmi talks about spitting into the wind. To spit into the wind, where the wind is going to break up the spit and spread it, according to Yushalmi, goes under the banner of winnowing. Practical applications of that Yushalmi are quite, quite a few. It, the Ramad does Paskin like that Yushalmi lahalacha. The Mishnah Bruce says he's never seen anybody be makrid in that Yushalmi. That means he has never saw anybody spit. But he says that I've never seen anybody practice the halacha lemaisa. But the Paskin do say lechatchila, one should try and be makrid on the Yushalmi. So the, what the Yushalmi is talking about is spreading. You're not separating here. You're spreading by using wind. <coughs> Where that has practical applications, Rabbi Kivega talks about would you be allowed to spill a cup of water out of the window? into the wind where it's going to spread. Um, a more simple term would be to use a, a water gun and shoot it into the wind where the wind's going to spread it around. Would that be a problem of Zoya? Kuntu Yushami, that would be forbidden because you are throwing water to the wind and that would be a problem of Zoya. Uh, they sound far-fetched, these, apl- these applications, but there is one very practical situation which Kuntu Yushami would make life a little bit complicated for us, though not all cases. I think mo- modern inventions has moved a little bit more forward than that, and that's the spray. Can one use a spray, an aerosol spray or a Mr. Muscle spray on Shabbos? Because when you spray, the liquid that comes out of the, the uh, can or out of the plastic bottle is going to be spread around and, and, and moved around and spread and scattered over the area that you want it to spray. So is that, does that go under the banner of Zaira or does it not go under the banner of Zaira? Does it fit into the criteria of the Ushalmi? But does it not fit into the criteria of the Yushami of the remote? Now this really depends on the different types of sprays. Now I can't say I'm much of a, a bucky when it comes to sprays, but they tell me that they, there's two types of sprays on the market, one which is most commonly used in household sprays, and the spray which is used mainly in garden sprays and paint sprays, etc., is a slightly different spray. The normal household spray is you have a, a bottle with some liquid inside. When you press the nozzle, you press the nozzle down, or you pull in the handle, what you're doing is you're pushing down pressure, you're pressurizing down the water inside, the liquid inside the bottle, and that comes up through a little pipe inside the bottle, out through the nozzle, and what, the, what causes it to spread is just that the nozzle is made up of a bunch of little holes, and they, they scatter, that scatters the liquid over the area that you want to spray over. So when you spray, you have a scattering of, of spray on the, the countertop or wherever it may be, that's caused purely by the air coming up and coming through the nozzle, and the nozzle spreads it. So really, there's no air involved in the scattering of this liquid at all. So in that case, you can't consider it a malacha of zoe. You are scattering, you are spreading the liquid, but you're not using air to help you scatter. That's not the malacha of zoe. That doesn't come under the banner of zoe at all. The zoe, as we said, must be either separating or, according to scattering through the process of air. However, there's another type of spray on the market, and again, uh, please tell me if, I've spoke, if I can pr- pronounce it right. It's called a, a venturi sp- a tube, or venturi spray. That's really more the gardens with the paint sprays etc they come with a big bottle of paint and a tube coming through the top what the way that works is that you pump air through the through this tube and that pressures the paint to come up and out and scatter through by using the air the pressure of air brings up the paint and scatters it 
out of the tube at the top. So there, there you're using a process of air to scatter. Now painting on Yom Tov and Shabbos is also, so we're not talking about the, the aspect of painting, we're just talking about the spray aspect of it. That spray is, according to Yushalmi, a problem of Zoya, because you are using air to, to scatter liquid over the area that you would like it to go. And that's exactly what Yushalmi is talking about when he says you mustn't spit into, the, into wind, because you're using wind to scatter the spit. So those are really the only practical applications of Zaira, so please don't uh, spread confetti in the wind, throw confetti to the wind on Shabbos, or most practically the only one which is really practical is peanuts and etc., something like that, shells, any, any mixture of nuts and shells or food and something with, with a lighter uh, mixture in it which you try to separate by blowing, that would go under the banner of Zaira. So that's the, the second stage, after winnowing, they would winnow and separate the the ears of corn from the chaff, they would then winnow it so the chaff and the, the stalks would be blown away and the ears of corn would remain. And then you would end up with, on the floor of the threshing house, you would end up with these ears of corn with a slight mixture of stones and dirt and a little bit of stalks of the, of the wheat there as well. Not everything was cleared through the process of winnowing. And then you the way they finished that was they would get down on their hands and knees and they would pick out all the stones and all the dirt and everything that they would find until they were left with a very clear floor of grain. That process of picking out with your hand the rest of the dirt is the next malacha called boira. You're sorting. You are separating the dirt from the ears of the, the grain of corn, grains of wheat. That is the, the malacha of boira. And that's the malacha that we want to focus on this evening. Just before we move on to the, to the Malacha of, of Beir, if one describes a modern-day combine harvester, and you, you uh, break down what the combine harvester does, you will see that everything that goes on the combine harvester is almost identical to what they did in the olden days by hand. The first thing the, the harvester does is it harvests, it cuts the, the, the wheat. It then gathers up the wheat onto a little type of uh, platform. takes all the stalks with, together with the ears of corn and it raises it onto a platform which is the process of ma'ama it's raising, gathering all the cut wheat that it's cut, just cut raises it through a little plat- through a little elevator onto a platform and there it's done the malacha of ma'ama these elevators then take the stalks and put them into a, a revolving cylinder that cylinder by revolving it separates with, it's got inside it's got a, a bunch of teeth it detaches the grain from the stalks so that's a, a modern method of threshing it's a revolving cylinder with some sort of teeth inside but when it goes around very fast it, the pounding of the grain against the teeth and against the cylinder separates the grain from the from the uh, from the chaff it then goes through through a process of blowing they have a blowing machine inside the combine harvester which blows the chaff and the wheat to one side and the corn goes out into the other side and that's the malacha of that's the malacha of, of Zaira and again at the same time it cleanses it of all the stones and all the unwanted dirt through a process of sieving etc and then you end up with a pure grain without any unwanted articles together with it so really within, in, a, in a modern day combine house it looks, it looks like it's, 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 everything happens in, 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 the, in, the, in the time span of a couple of minutes and a small area of of produce will be harvested and you'll end up with the grain inside your lorry but the truth is that what's happening inside the combine house is exactly the same process it's a, there's a kaitsa there's a, a ma'ama there's a dosh there's a, there's a zaira there's a dosh and there's a boya all happening 
in a very short space of time and almost in an identical fashion that it would happen in the olden days using pure manpower. Now, as we mentioned right at the beginning, Boyer is, though it comes towards the end of the list, Boyer is the most practical and the most difficult for us to, to get to grips with and something which if we don't really have it very clear, we are going to end up even, you know, without, inadvertently, without really meaning to, being over the Issa Boyer quite regularly. So what I'm going to do this week is just go through the basic rules of Boyer without going into detail, just the basic rules that constitute and make up the Malacha of Boyer. And in the following weeks, we'll go through the practical examples in all the different cases of Boyer. To start, the word Boyer means to sort. To sort means you, by definition, you have a, a mixture of things in front of you and you are sorting those things. But one mustn't make the mistake and think that sorting means you've got to sort different groups into piles. If you just take one item out of a mixture, that can already constitute a malacha of boyer. So sorting doesn't have to mean you know, I've got a, a big, big pile of different types of foods and I'm separating them into groups of apples and groups of oranges and groups of pears. That doesn't have to go that far. If I just take one item out of a mixture in the manner that would constitute boyer, I've already transgressed the malacha de rice according to most of boyer. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go through Mrs. I said you, Mrs. Graydon, we're going to go through all the different practical examples of Mitzvah. Let's just try and get the background of, of what the Malachah is. There's three conditions, or three ways, I shouldn't say conditions, three ways that one can transgress the Malachah of Boyer. The first way is that you have a, a mixture of wanted of waste and food. If you take the waste away from the food by hand, so you're removing the waste from the food with your hand, that's an Issa of Boyer. That's the first, and one has to remember these rules, because these rules are going to come up time and time again in different, in different uh, situations. We're going to go through right these things. It's, all, it's only three rules which make up Boyer, but they are so complicated in the practical uh, ramifications of the three rules that one has to remember them, that these, these are the rules of Boyer. So if you are sorting waste from food by hand, that's the malacha of Boyer. If you are sorting with a keli, with a vessel, food from waste, not waste from fruit, even the other way around. Food from waste, with a keli, with a sieve, or, 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 or any sort of keli that will allow you to separate the two. That could also, that is also a malach abayr, and in some cases, even a malach abayr minatayr, some cases it will only be midrabonon, depending on the different types of um, uh, utensils that you'll be using, and we'll discuss those in Metzchem later on. If you, if you separate even by hand food from waste, but you don't intend to eat the food straight away, again, you have entered into the Malacha of Bayer. So there's three ways that you can enter into the Malacha of Bayer. If you take waste away from food, and we'll describe what waste means and what food means in a few moments. If you take waste away from food, even by hand, makes no difference, that's the Malacha of Bayer, because that's the exact replica of what they did when they were threshing, when they were, when they were, when they were sorting, they were taking the stones away from the kernels of corn and, and wheat, that were left on the threshing floor, you are removing by hand the waste from the food. If you would remove food away from waste by hand, you might not be entering into a malacha abayr. It's got to be the waste away from food. If you remove food away from the waste with a keli, that then would definitely be a malacha abayr. And the third example would be to remove food away from waste by hand, but you don't intend to eat the food immediately. That's again called bayr. So if you were removing food away from the waste by hand, 
with the intention to eat it immediately, then that would not be a malacha abayish. You could end up separating two articles of a mixture exactly as you would like. You would like one article to be over there, one article to be over there. If you did it in one manner, in one fashion, you can be even issued the raisa of bayer. And if you did it in a completely different fashion, with the same result, you've done nothing wrong. And that's why bayer is so delicate. You've got to be so clear that what you are doing enters into the separation which is mutter and not into the separation which is a malacha of bayer. And that's why bayer is so complicated. The line is very subtle. Uh, in, different, in different situations, you will see the line is very, very unclear and we will try as best to be as clear as we can as we move, as we move forward. A simple mixture that we talk about in Boira is, as we said, a mixture of a waste and a food. Or a mixture of two different types of food. So, for instance, if you have a, a bowl of nuts with shells inside, and you remove the shells to see how many nuts are there, you have now removed the waste from the mixture of shells and nuts, and left yourself just the nuts inside the bowl. You have transgressed an issue of Boira minatayu. You've removed the waste from the food, and that will be a malacha of Boira. Similarly, if you had a, a platter of different types of cold cuts, different types of meats, meats and chickens, etc., on a plate, and you removed the meat that you didn't want from the plate, or you separated the two into separate piles, you, d- you decided that you don't want to have it as a, as, a, as a platter of two different types of meat, you want all meats in, on, a, on a, a tray for themselves, and you decided to take off that meat and put it onto another tray, and that meat and put it onto a separate tray, you have now separated two types of food. Again, that is a malacha of boya. We will, as we go through the halachas, we will explain how one can do these malachas with their heta. But for the moment, we're just discussing the background rule, the general rule of bayer, and that would be an issa of bayer. Bayer doesn't have to be too dry articles. It can be a, a wet article as well. If you have a fly in a soup, or if you have soup with barley, etc., and you don't want the barley in the soup, and you want to remove the barley from the soup, again, to take the barley, take that fly out of the soup, could be an issa of bayer, and we will explain how to do that. If you do end up with a fly in your soup, how to take the fly out, but not today as in the coming shurim, Yatashem. But bayer is not specific to dry foods. Dvarim lachim, wet, is also, can also go under the banner of bayer. For instance, removing cream from on top of a milk. To remove all the cream from top of the milk would again go under the banner of bayer, because you're taking away one part of a food, from another part of the food, even though they're both liquid. Well, cream might not be so liquidy, but the milk is a liquid. You're removing something from the liquid that would again constitute an issa of bayer. Uh, um, you might not believe this, but the halacha does dictate that bayer has got nothing to do with food per se. If you separate a mixture of any articles, be it cutlery, be it benches, be it sforim, be it clothes, all goes under the banner of bayer. It's in first in the mechaba that if you had a, a cupboard of clothes where you, in order to be able to get to one, you had to bypass and choose, move away the others, you could end up being over the Isra of Bayer. Sorting out your cutlery. You don't like your, your forks and spoons mixed together, and you decide to take the forks and put them in one, one part of the tray and the spoons in the other part of the tray, you have then transgressed the Isra of Bayer. So Bayer is not specific to food. It's right across the board. Any mixture, any mixture, be it food and waste, be it food and food, or be it non-food items, all go under the banner of Bayer. Another rule you have to remember, which comes up right the way through Hilton's Boyer, is that the word Eichel and Pesalis, food and waste, is what's going to be used right the way through the Halachas of Boyer. We're going to describe everything as food and waste. The word food always describes the article that you want now, 
the article that you're going to be using right now, be it a food that you're going to be eating now, be it a spoon that you're going to be laying the table with now. Uncle always refers to what, I, what, what I'm going to eat, what I want now. Pusailas, waste, refers to the article that you don't want now. It might be a, a far more important article, it might be a piece of meat which is worth much more than the article that you do want now, but if you could remove that article from the article that you do want, that would be considered removing Pusailas from Eichel, and that would be considered a Malacha of Bayer. So, Eichel and Pesolus is not described, food and waste is not, in Hilchus Bayer, described literally food and waste. It describes what you want at this point in time, and what you don't want at this point in time. What you do want is considered an Eichel, what you don't want is considered Pesolus. And that's something we must remember, because that's the key, really, to the, to the, to the whole Malacha of Bayer. We've got to decide in every situation what is the food and what is the waste. Right? Uh, be it sorting out benches, be it sorting out masforum, laying the table, whatever the situation may be, we're going to have to try and break down what you are actually doing to understand what is called the Eichel and what is called the Pseulis. Once we have that key and we know what's called the Eichel and what's called the Pseulis, then usually Boyer can be done, the Derecheta, without too much problem. The next thing we need to understand before we, we can truly understand Hilkos Boyer is we have to describe what is a mixture. What, what do we mean when we call a mixture? Boyer is to sort, to sort from a mixture. So we need to really understand what is a mixture. When we talk about a mixture, what do we mean when we say a mixture? Does a mixture have to be a fruit salad? Is a mixture... Sorry? An ordinary salad? Is that, is that the degree of a mixture? Or is a mixture just two lines of something on a plate together. How do you describe a mixture? And it's not simple. It's something which isn't clear in the Paschim. What is a mixture with respect to Hilkos Bayer? The, the simple understanding of a Tarubas is when you look at a group of things and you see it as a group. If you have a table, you have an orange on one side of the table and an apple on the other side of the table, you, nobody perceives that as a group. You see it as an orange and an apple. And there's absolutely no problem to take either the orange or the apple. Whether you want the orange at that point in time, you don't want the orange at that point in time, it's irrelevant. That's not considered sorting. You, they are sorted already. A, a mixture must be something that, when you look at it, you perceive it as a group rather than separate articles. So it could be a fruit bowl. could be a, a, a mixture because you have fruit mixed as a group in a fruit bowl. It could be a fruit salad. It could be a platter of, of cold cuts. And you can have the white cold cuts and the red cold cuts and the, and the, and the lethal cold cuts on the left. And it's all considered a mixture, even though they're clearly delineated, you have a clear line of each different cold cut, but you see it as a platter of cold cuts, so that's now considered a mixture. Unclear, as I say to you, not so clear what a mixture is called, but that's, that's the basic rule. If you consider, you, can see, you see it as a group, then you can assume that that's called a mixture. If you see it as single items, then that doesn't have to be considered a mixture. The next stage of a mixture is if you have food connected to each other. You can have a piece of chicken, for instance, with, with or a piece of meat is rather more, a better example, a piece of meat with a piece of fat on it. And you, you remove the fat from the meat. Nobody would say to you there's a mixture here. You have two articles connected together, or chicken and a bone, whatever it may be, peeled on a, on a fruit. And we will discuss how one can peel, and it's not a problem of butter, but peel on a fruit, peeling a, a shelling a, a nut, all those are two articles which are connected 
separating one from the other again goes under the banner of Boyer. So a mixture doesn't actually have to be a salad or a mixture as such. Just having the two articles connected together is also considered Boyer. That would be a Malachal Boyer. I mean, I tell you, and again, as I said, don't get nervous. We will discuss Metashemus as we go through in the coming weeks all the different situations how one can practically do Boyer in Bedarachetta. Because in most circumstances, one can do exactly this, have exactly the same result if it's done just in slightly different form, not in the same form as one would normally do it, and that's not considered Boyer. Um, articles which are piled on top of each other or in front of each other is considered a mixture in Hilfus Boyer. So if you have a pile of plates and you don't want to use the top four plates, you just want to use the fifth plate down for whatever reason it may be, then to remove the top four plates and take the fifth plate out would be considered a Malacha of Boyer. Because you've removed the top plate and you've separated the ones that you don't want from the ones that you want. And the Shulchanot talks about if you have a cupboard with your clothes lying in, in, in a line in front of each other. In order to be able to get to the hanging clothes which are behind, you have to remove the front clothes. That could be a problem of boyer because you're removing what you don't want in order to be able to access that which you do want. And again, boyer does not have to be specific to food. Even non-food articles is boyer. So in these cases, again, you are removing, you are sorting. Though it's not a mixture in the terms that we would define a mixture, in Hilfus Boyer, that's considered a mixture, and there would still be a Malacha of Boyer. To explain what we mean when we say two different types. At the moment, we've discussed different types being either food and waste, or being two different types of food. But types varies. Simple, as we said, simple two types would be different types of vegetables, different types of meats, they will be considered two types of food. Same type of food, say you have carrots all on a plate, but some are slightly larger and some are slightly smaller, that's not a mixture, that's considered the same type and there's no problem with burial there. That is not what we mean when we talk about two types of food. So two types literally means two types, so not completely, it's, there are times when a single type will also be a problem of burial, but sorting because of size, you fancy the big ones, not the small ones, so you remove the small ones from the tray, that would not be considered a problem of Boyer, because all I'm doing is sorting the same type. Sorting the same type is not sorting. In the, in the Malacha of Boyer, which was done in the threshing house, there they sorted stones and dirt away from the kernels of wheat. So there I was removing waste from the kernels. I've got to remove something which is different to that which is remaining. So removing things which are different sizes is not a problem. However, if two of the same type have slightly different taste. If two of the same types have slightly different taste, for instance, you have two types of chicken on the tray, and one has been roasted, and one has been, I don't know, broiled, or whatever it is, so they taste different. So even though they're exactly the same min, they're the same type, they're both chicken, you now have two types of the same min, but they taste different. Sorting in groups of taste is considered sorting. When it comes to boya, we don't look at the type per se, we look at is there any difference? Size is not considered a difference. Taste is considered a difference. So to have two types of meat, same piece of meat, same piece of brisket, but you've cooked it differently, so it tastes different, same piece of chicken, but one's been um, uh, stuffed with something and one hasn't, so they taste different. They constitute two separate types and therefore must be considered two minim when it comes to boyer. To separate those two could be a malacha of boyer. Two, again, two of the same type, but they have a different function. 
would also go under the banner of Boyer. So, when it comes to food, it's a bit difficult because most food has, has the same function, right? It's to be eaten. But when you're talking about non-food items, you can have two of the same article having a different function. You can have a soup spoon and you can have a teaspoon, or you can have a soup spoon and a salad spoon. They're, they're almost identical, and one just seems to be slightly larger than the other. And had they been carrots, you'd be allowed to separate the smaller ones from the larger ones. But here, since this, these two spoons, though the, the difference is only in size, serve for different purpose, one is to use in a salad, one is to use in a soup, they are considered two separate types, and again, to, to sort them out would be a malacha of bayer. And finally, when it comes to different types of foods, if you had two of the same type of food, but one was slightly more, better quality than the other. So, for instance, you had two chickens in the oven, and one was slightly burnt, and you had a lot of guests, and you had to put it on the tray, and you end up with a tray of slightly burnt chicken with well-done chicken. So, of course, the slightly burnt chicken is not as kosher as the well-done chicken, and you want to sort it into a group of burnt chicken and normal well-done edible chicken, Again, we're not talking about food which is not edible. The burnt chicken is perfectly edible. Some might even like it. Some might even prefer it. But you want to have the chicken, the burnt chicken in one group and the non-burnt chicken in the other group. Again, you are sorting the same type of food. The one in this case is better than the other. Again, that would constitute a miss of bayer. So if you had a, a group of, a, a bunch of grapes and you removed the grapes which were a little bit softer, not so nice. They were edible, but you didn't want to eat them. Now you've moved them, you put, to, took them off in order to put them aside and just leave the better quality grapes on the, on, on the bunch, that would again constitute the malacha of bayer. You're separating from a group the ones which are slightly less edible to the ones which are slightly but more edible. If you have a lettuce, and we will discuss this at length in the coming showroom, if you have a lettuce where the outer leaves aren't so nice, which is very common, they're not really what you want to put in your, in your uh, salad, you've got a bunch of guests and you have to show a perfect salad, so you can't put the, the squashed, shriveled outside leaves, so you want to take them off and leave the better leaves inside and use those for the salad, that could be again a problem of boyer because I'm separating leaves which are not so edible, though they are edible, anybody, most people will eat them, but they're not as good as the inner leaves, and you separate them because you want the more chosher leaves, you want the better leaves which are inside, that could constitute a malacha of boyer. Exactly how we should do all that, we will discuss Metashem at length in the coming shurim. So let's recap everything that we've learned today because we've learned enough rules to, uh, to make us muddle before we even start. Boyer is the malacha of sorting, to sort two articles. In simple terms, boyer is to sort the good from the bad. The description of good from bad, we said, means to sort that which I want now to that which I don't want now. Oichel min is to separate food from waste. Food meaning that which I want now, be it the spoon I want to use now from the spoon I don't want to use now. The soup spoon, because it's time to have soup, from the salad spoon when I don't, want to, I don't have a salad in front of me. That would, the spoon which I'm using would be considered the Eichel, the good spoon. The spoon which I'm leaving might be the more expensive spoon. It might be a silver-plated spoon. But that's not, not what I want now. That would be considered waste. I've now separated food from waste, good from bad. Then that is a malacha of bayer. If it's not done in the right way. <coughs> we, just, we, we explained that bayer is not specific to food items. It can be even non-food items. As long as there's a mixture, a mixture constitutes anything that is, looks and is perceived by the human being as a group rather than being separate articles. To separate those into their groups would be considered a malach be it food, be it clothes, be it svarim, 
be it um, uh, cutlery, these are things which come up on a, on a regular basis. Sorting out your benches on a Shabbos could be a problem of Malach of Boyer Min So there's many, many instances where Boyer is really practical and really, really Negea. <coughs> we explained that the, the rules of Boyer are three, and these rules must be remembered right through the Malachas of Boyer. Boyer is to separate good, bad from good with your hand. And we will explain what a hand means. What do we mean by a hand as we move on in the Shurim? A hand doesn't literally have to be a hand. But to separate bad from good using your hand is, is the malacha of Boyer Minatei. Because that's the exact malacha that was done in the threshing house. To separate good from bad, but with a keli, for instance, with a, with a sieve, etc., would be a malacha of Boyer. And in some cases, even malacha of Boyer Minatei, even though I'm separating the good from the bad. And to separate food from waste, good from bad, but I don't want that food immediately, then that would also be considered the malach obeyer. If, however, I separated the good from the bad to be eaten or to be used immediately, I have no problem with obeyer at all. So I can have a group of spoons in my drawer and I, need to, I want to have my soup now, so I have to search for my soup spoon and I take the soup spoon out of the mixture, which is taking the oichel, the good, away from the spoons that I don't want from the bad, but I'm taking it because I want to use it now that would not be considered boyer, though I'm doing exactly the same thing as separating the soup spoon and, and the salad spoon if I take away the salad spoon if I take away the good spoon. The soup spoon, I'm doing exactly the same. The outcome is exactly the same. One is a malacha de raisa and one is not. So those are the rules that we have to remember. We have to have a mixture. A mixture is a true mixture, which is considered a group. A mixture can be uh, a pile. A mixture can be um, a, a, a platter of different, fr- different foods together. It's got to be two different types, be it two different types of food or the same type with a different taste. Same type with a different purpose, same type for one more kosher than the other. All those cons- cons- constitute or make up the basis of a mixture when it comes to malacha boya, and separate any of those can be a malacha boya. Now, I've put you in a situation where you're going to go back to your kitchen and get all nervous. How on earth am I going to make Shabbos and, and, prepare, my, and prepare my meal? But just carry on as normal. In the coming Shurim, we will go through every single case and we'll explain to you exactly how to do it. And you probably are doing most of it inadvertently without even realizing it you're probably doing it all right anyway but just to clarify we will go through and we will put every single case into perspective and you will be able to lay your table and sort out your cutlery and etc without too much worry but that's the background to the Malachas Bayer that's what the the, the, the the way it was done in the field in the threshing house that's the Bayer which has got the practical applications to everyday use and you can see it's extremely practical and extremely delicate the line of what's called boyer and what's not called boyer because I'm doing exactly the same action and sometimes it's a derisor, sometimes it's not a derisor and therefore we have to be very clear and to, to pump you all with the malachas of, all the halachas of boyer in one share will definitely make you muddled and uh, you will definitely get it all wrong so we're going to do a process of a couple of shurim and that way Mr. Shem, by the time we're finished you will hopefully be clear what we can do and what we can't do just to finish off with a short do I tell you At the end of the Sedra, after the story with the brachas, when Yaakov took the brachas away from Esau, and Esau threatened Yaakov that he was going to take revenge, so the Prophet tells us that Yerifka went to Yitzchak, and using the excuse that Yaakov needs to get married, and therefore should go off to Aram, to the house of Rivka, to find himself a wife, he should send her away. That way Rivka held that Yaakov would be safe. So the Prophet tells us, for Yishlach Yitzchak es Yaakov, so Yitzchak sent Yaakov to Aram, El Lavon ben Besuel Arami, to Lavon, the son of Besuel, 
who was from Aram, who was the brother Achi Rivka, the brother of Rivka, Aim Yaakov Esav, who was the mother of Yaakov and Esav. Don't forget, this is almost the, the, uh, one of the final psukim in the Sedra. We've had a whole Sedra of Yitzchak and Rivka, and we all know that Yitzchak, uh, that Rivka gave birth to twins, that's right the way through the beginning of the Sedra, and the whole process of the differences between Esav and Yaakov. By the time it comes to the end of Pasha's told us, everybody should know who Rivka is. So Rashi says, what does it mean when the Torah tells us, Aim Yaakov Esav, I don't know, says Rashi, what the Torah is trying to teach us here. Why does the Torah have to tell us at this point in time that Rivka was the mother of Yaakov and Esau? I want to share with you a, a, a pshat which I saw in one of the Swarm. Uh, extremely interesting pshat. It doesn't mean that Rashi was wrong. Of course, the, it's not the true pshat, and that's why Rashi still says we don't know why, what the Torah is trying to teach us, but it's something perhaps that we can understand in the whole picture of Yitzchak, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. If one goes through the life of Avram and the life of Yitzchak and the life of Yaakov, you'll see there's three fundamental differences, three different approaches in the, in the life of Avram to the life of Yitzchak and to the life of Yaakov. If you go through every single Nisoyan of Avram, right through his life, you see that the work of Avram in this world was the one of removing all negative influences from his environment. Right away through his life, he sent away Yishmol, he, he the Nisoyan of, of Sorry in the house of Parai, they have to move away from Parai, they, 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 they didn't remain anywhere near Abimelech. They never remained in any environment where there could be a negative influence from that environment on the household of Avram. And the whole life of Avram is based around this concept of moving, removing the evil, removing the evil away from the good. Insulating himself from the outside world, keeping himself the household of Avram to be the household of Avram, not integrating at all with the wider society. And if you look through the Sedra, you'll see it's quite clear. That's not Pasha told us, that's Lech Lecho, the, the very Lech Lecho tells you, Lech Lecho, Me'atzucho, Me'latzucho, Be'savicho, go as far, as far as way as you can from the, your land, from your birthplace, go move away from Terach, from, from the Abed Zor. The, the idea is not to remain in an environment which is negative. And that's really the life of, of Ron. If you move to the life of Yitzchak, you see a completely different approach. Yitzchak gave birth to two children, Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov was the Ishtam Yeshivai Halim, and Esau was an Ish Tzayit. If Avram would have been the father, we would imagine that he would have picked Esau up and thrown him out of the house. Same as he did to, to, to Yishmol. Esau was a bad influence on Yaakov. He was a bad influence on the whole household. But yet we find in the Pasuk that the Pasuk tells us, Vayav Yitzchak is Esau Kisayid Bepid, Rivka Yehavis Yaakov. And the Alshik explains that how can it be that Yitzchak liked Esau more than Yaakov? That doesn't make sense. Of course, Yitzchak understood the virtues of Yaakov. He realized that Yaakov was the future. Yaakov was the Ishtom Yeshiva Holim. Yaakov was, in brief, a low life. Why on earth was he Vayav Yitzchak as Esau? And Al-Sir explains that that's what the Apostle means when he says, Kisayid Bepiv. He didn't really, truly love Esau. He showed his love to Esau in order to try and encourage him to come back into the fold. When Esau came in, as Rashi said, Kisayid Bepiv, with his questions, how do you take my on salt, etc., Yaakov, Yitzchak realized but it was just a, a front. But instead of pushing him away the way Avram would have, because that was the, the, the purpose of Avram in life, Yitzchak encouraged him. Yitzchak showed him love. And through love, tried to bring him back into the fold. So the life of Yitzchak was one of not removing the evil out of the home like Avram's was. It was one of encouraging the evil to come back in to try and rectify it and bring it back into the level that Esau should really be. And don't forget, it's a different story. Esau had a purpose in life. He had a purpose. He was a twin of Yaakov, and he should have remained so for the rest of his life, helping Yaakov in his quest of learning Torah. Esau was the Osu, the man who should have worked on the land, and Yaakov should have been the one who was learning. Esau should have been the Yisochah and the the Zvulun. Yaakov being the one who was the Yisochah learning Torah, and Esau was the one who was supposed to help him 
achieve that aim. Had he fulfilled his mission, then the world would have been complete. We'd have had an Esau and Yaakov working together, everything would have been fine. That's what, that was the purpose of Yitzhak, to try and bring Esau back to fulfill his mission. If we come to the life of Yaakov, we see moving him from this week's Sedra, the end of this week's Sedra, right away through to Vayetzi, Vayishtach, Vayeshev, Yaakov's life was completely different. Yaakov's life was to go down into the outside world, to go, to go into, not just not to remove the evil from his home, but to go into the world of evil, go down to Mitzrayim, go down to Aram, go wherever the evil was, and in that point in time still remain steadfast to his beliefs, still remain a true Yaakov, Ishtam, Yosef, Aholim, and Yaakov who, we can say, Mitosu Shlemu had never sinned in his life. And that was the mission that Yaakov was about to set out on when, when Yitzhak sent him away. He was now going, about to, to embark on the life on the journey of Yaakov, going down out of the, ha- the household of Yitzhak, away from the, ins- the insulated life that he'd had up until now, go into the house of Lavon. From there, he moved on and on, right away until he went down to Mitzrayim, and almost never came out of that situation. He remained within the wider world, but yet remained a from Jew. Yaakov is the, is the example of Golos, because Yaakov was just that, inside Golos. He was in Golos all his life, but yet remained the Yaakov Ishtam Yeshiva Holim. Where did Yaakov get this ability to go down to the wide world, go outside into the wide world, go down to Lavon, down to Mitzrayim, and yet remain a from Jew. That's what Apostle is trying to tell us here. Yitzchak sent Yaakov out to the wide world, away from this insulated home that he'd brought him up in. Where did he send him to? To Lavon ben Besul Arami. And we all know who Lavon was, and we know who Besul was. They were definitely not refined people. Who was, that, uh, who was Lavan? Achi Rivka Ein Yaakov Esav. Rivka, the, the true Sadekis, the mother of Kalisro, where was she brought up? She was brought up in that home, in that very home of Lavan and Basuel. She is the example of someone who can be brought up in a home which is totally alien to Torah, and yet remain the Rivka, the Balascheser that she was, and Sadekis that she was. The Torah is telling us the ability for Yaakov to achieve his mission and go down to the house of Lavan, and down to Mitzrayim eventually, and remain the Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Holim was only because Rivka was the Aim Yaakov Esau. And that's why at this point in time the Torah repeats, Rivka was the mother of Yaakov, the mother of Esau, to teach him that Rivka is the one that gave that ability to Yaakov, where he's about to embark on his new mission of going down to the outside world, going out in the outside world, and remaining the true Yaakov that he was, that ability came from, Yitzchak, from, from Rivka. And that's why at this point, though we, we all know who Rivka was, the Torah wants to give us this dogish to stress this point, that Rivka is the one that gave that ability to Yaakov. And that's really the true, the true um, role of a, of a woman, if one thinks about it in real terms. The woman is the protector of Kalishol. The man is the one who goes out to, to the wide world and has to spend his time in the wide world. The woman is the one who has to protect the home and keep the home protected, though we are living in Golis or in the outside world, Rivka is the true example of what uh, a Bas Yisrael looked like. Somebody who, who protected the home, protected Yaakov, gave Yaakov the ability to go out in the outside world and yet remain true and steadfast to the beliefs that he was brought up, with, brought up in, in, in the insulated home of Yitzchak. That's the message of this little posseg, though Rashi is right when he says that but there's a message here uh, all the same for all of us, that we are in Golis we are starting the life of Yaakov now, that Yaakov is about to go out to the wide world. We have to take Yaakov and try and learn from Yaakov how to live as a true Jew, a true Yaakov, Ishtam Yeshiv Alim, even though we're in Golis. We should be Zechad to see the end of Golis and the Schuss of living a true, like a true Jewish life in the Golis. We should be Zechad to see the end of Golis. May we remain Amen.